This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And Ken, it's time for some listener mail. All right, that's great. But what about the topic? Well, you know, we always have fun topics. And this week, we're actually going to take a listener suggestion uh, right from one of our more recent letters. Uh, so we'll get into that later on. But but let's jump, let's open up the mailbag there, the subspace communique. And uh, let's see what we got. <laughs> you know, Zach, uh, that's what makes Standard Orbit the best podcast on Trek FM, and perhaps even in the known universe. These these listeners' letters just just help us fuel the fact that we are so proud of our humility. So, go for it. Yeah. Well, in in all seriousness, we we enjoy sharing notes from folks who are not on the Babel conference or even on Facebook. That that way, everyone gets to, to see the discussions and comments. And this way, we get to share for everyone. And the first note comes from Tom Durr. So uh, here's what he says. He says, "Hey, Ken and Zach, my name is Tom Durr." Hello, Tom. Uh, I just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy your podcast, and I appreciate all the work you both put into it. I have a meaning to drop you a line for a few months now. After listening to your latest Standard Orbit episode, I thought this would be a good time. For the record, I think all your shows are good. Well, I do as well, Tom. Thank you for that. Uh, I look forward to the new and varied topics you come up with every week. Your podcast is of special interest to me because I'm a product of the original series. You see, I was 10 years old in 1966 when the series debuted. I do remember watching the show on a black and white TV and never missing an episode. Then in the early 70s, watching them over again in color, reading the book The Making of Star Trek cover to cover several times as a kid. Most recently, my wife and I attended Star Trek Las Vegas, uh, my first one, and we enjoyed every minute of it. It being the 50th anniversary brought my fandom full circle. I guess we we crossed paths somewhere in there. I'm sure we're in the same room at some point there, Tom, huh? <laughs> yeah, gee, a, you know, obviously we're just starting back then, Zach, but uh, that would have been cool. Hopefully we'll catch we'll catch Tom again. Uh, and he goes on to say, I had to laugh out loud, Zach, about the Mexican restaurant that was never open. That's why I mentioned that a, a couple episodes ago on Center of It. Uh, he lives in League City, which is uh, close to where I live, and uh, says, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm one of the very few listeners that knew that place you were talking about. Uh, because this, this is a place that we were joking about, you know, which uh, when Star Trek Discovery is finally going to premiere, right? And there's this Mexican restaurant down in my part of town uh, outside of Houston. And... <laughs> 
It's had this banner up for two years now. It says opening spring of 2015. So <laughs> I'm glad you appreciated my, my reference to that, Tom. Uh, and he goes on to say, the great part about living in this area is being so close to NASA. True, I literally live down the street from NASA. Uh, alongside of the Johnson Space Center is Space Center Houston, the home of the shuttlecraft Galileo. I was able to attend the unveiling of the Galileo about three years ago. Uh, while there, I was fortunate enough to meet Adam Schneider, the gentleman that restored and donated the Galileo to Space Center Houston. I kept a correspondence with him over the years, sending pictures of his baby. He is very is a very interesting individual. If you're not aware, he's a high-end collector of Star Trek original movie props, mainly ships, many of which are being displayed at the EMP Museum in Seattle. Check out his site ncc1701.us incredible so there's a plug for adam schneider there and uh you know he would be a, a fascinating guest tom i agree with you we'll have to i'll uh, have to reach out and see if he wants to be on starter because I, I of course have have visited the the galileo myself and you know i felt kind of slighted as a houstonian that we did not get one of the uh, four remaining shuttlecrafts that went up in space enterprise uh, of course that one didn't go into space but everybody knows that's that's the first test shoulders enterprise discovery Endeavor and Atlantis, and you know, one is in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington D.C. That's that's fair. One is in Florida at Cape Canaveral, makes perfect sense. Cool with that. One is in California, where the shuttle used to land on a regular basis when it couldn't land in Florida. No problem there. Uh, the fourth one is in New York City. <laughs> and do you remember those remember those picante commercials, Ken? When the guys are trying sauce on, they're like New York City. That was pretty much <laughs> how everyone in Houston reacted when we found out we were not getting a shuttlecraft. <laughs> We were not yeah. getting a space shuttle. And they put and they and they put it on a ship. Right? Yeah, they, they put, put it on, on a ship. It's on the, like it's on the Intrepid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is kind of different. But the Enterprise is on a ship. Yeah, or or a barge next to the ship. One or the other. Yeah, right? something like that. So so that was the collective reaction for everyone here in Houston when you get. But now we got the training shuttle. There are pros and cons of that. So we have a shuttlecraft. We actually we actually we actually have the uh, the airline that the uh, i believe i don't know if it's 747 or 757 or 767 but the one that the shuttlecraft used, used to travel on um you know the, the 747 see, it was it okay yeah when you see the, the the promotional pictures of the enterprise on its first flight that's the one it was on and all that so we do have that plane here so that's pretty cool but anyway i i say all that can you tell that i'm, I'm a little <laughs> i'm not quite over that <laughs> no I, I can tell I, I think you got a little bit of a complex issue down there in houston you know but uh <laughs> It's okay. I, I, you know, I, I can't relate to anything like that being in, from Boston, but I, I do, <laughs> I do understand your pain. <laughs> See, I need my pain. <laughs> um, well, uh, I say all that to come back around to your to your point, Tom. Yes. Uh, all that aside, it's so awesome that we have the Galileo here uh, at Space Center Houston. Now it has been touring around the country recently. Uh, so it's not here at present, but that's when Star Trek Continues uh, came out here and filmed its third episode. Uh, some scenes in the shuttlecraft uh, used it used the Space Center Houston facilities there, so that's really cool. So even though we didn't get an official NASA shuttlecraft, we did get the Galileo, the shuttlecraft that we all know and love from Star Trek. So that was a standard orbit, standard a standard standard orbit tangent right there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all that to say, uh, thank you so much, Tom, for that email. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to uh, connect sometime, man. We're in, the, we're in the same neck of the woods, so let's let's definitely hook up down the road here. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was thinking about that. I'm like, geez, what what do we have in Boston that's representative of Star Trek? And I realized the most famous, most iconic character, Spock, Leonard Nimoy, is from Boston. So, needless to say, sorry about your shuttle. We're good up here. <laughs> we have another note from from. Uh, 
a gentleman named Brad Alexander. And Brad writes, hey, Chief and Zach. It's Senior Chief, Brad. Senior Chief. <laughs> it's okay. I, I take Chief all the time. Anyway, he's talking about the, uh, the, the history of the name Enterprise. That's what his notes in reference to. He says, that was another inspired episode, the history of the name Enterprise. I knew about CV6 and CVN65, but I didn't realize that we were getting another Enterprise, CVN80. That's right. We've got about three and a half, four years to go until she's ready. And um, another enterprise. It's exciting. You mentioned the USS Zumwalt. And while it's a new era for DDG stealth, did you also see her original captain's name? Zumwalt's commanding officer is none other than Captain James A. Kirk. Kirk attracted some media attention when he was first named to Captain due to the similarity of his name and to that of the Star Trek television character James T. Kirk, played by Bill Shatner, William Shatner. Shatner wrote a letter to support Zumwalt's crew in April of 2014. That's right, he did, and that was a big deal. And uh, James Kirk, obviously the Zumwalt, if, if anybody hasn't looked it up, I saw it in San Diego. Actually, I drove by it yesterday. Beautiful ship, huge. <laughs> it's, it's funky looking. So, so uh, it was not the Kirk, just a Kirk. Huh? That's right, that's huh? right. That's See? right. Because the T and the A, anyway, go, go on, go on. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Very clever. Anyway, and you were talking about the length of time that ships are in service. How about aircraft? The B-52 Stratofortress originally went into service in February 1955, and according to Wikipedia, it'll be in service until the 2040s, so 90-plus years of service. So when we talked about all those... TOS movie era ships winding up in the next generation, 80 plus years up. This actually is um, more identifiable, I guess, than to the ships we were talking about, right? I mean, I had no idea that they were going to be keeping the B-52s around till the 2040s. That's crazy. Anyway, uh, he finishes by, by saying, my mom used to work at the Boeing plant in Wichita uh, at the B-52 factory. He says, anyway, that's all I have for now. But by the way, my favorite enterprise from the show is the refit. So we know Brad has great taste all around. So that's a great note. Thank you, Brad, for writing, though. That that was fascinating, and especially that part about the aircraft, because, you know, it's, it's funny how we try to justify things, right, uh, between the different series and how things work and putting timelines together and feasibility. And you know what? You just, you just came up with another really solid argument as to why there would be so many ships from one era, you know, or, you know, two or three generations ago still in service. Uh, at the time of the Next Generation series and Deep Space Nine and and, uh, and Voyager. So thank you for that. I appreciate it, Brad. So let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into uh, our topic from a previous email from Tom Flint, who we read a couple episodes ago. So thank you again, Tom, for that. Uh, he had a suggestion about USS Enterprise close calls because, as Tom noted, NCC-1701 had various close calls that were thwarted throughout the course of the show and the movies. You know, Kirk's quickness to uh, self-destruct the ship. Although, uh, he says that, but Picard was much more trigger-happy on the self-destruct than Kirk. <laughs> but we can, we Is can, that true? Why did you, oh, did you actually count? Did, we can, well, we, we can get into that. Let's put a pin in that. Uh, but I have some thoughts we'll on that. We'll put a pin in that. Okay. Um, I like but, that. That's uh, the, a good expression. We used to say parking lot. I don't, I don't know where I picked that up from. Probably some podcast somewhere that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that sounds that sounds better now that I think of it. Let's but, put a yeah. pin in that and come back to it. Um, but the the uh, Psy two thousand, you know, the ship was spiraling towards uh, the planet there. The Doomsday Machine, War Games with M five, you know, the uh, ultimate computer, you know, the yes. ultimate computer regarded as a hostile UFO in uh, Tomorrow's Yesterday. But I mean, those F sixteens weren't gonna 
get the Enterprise, I don't think. Uh, being trapped in the Tholium <laughs> web, birds of prey throughout the movies, you know, uh, Klingon birds of prey, and then, of course, Romulan birds of prey in the show multiple times. So the Enterprise itself, right, uh, it's, it's been through a lot of things because in the course of the TV show and the movies, the, the Enterprise is not always, like, in jeopardy, right? In the movies, it seems to be. <laughs> but uh, the show, they had a lot more... It's Pot lines. Yeah, it's yeah. more the crew, like the characters. Oh, we're on a planet. We escape. You know, it's not always, oh, no, the <laughs> ship is trapped in a trapped in a tractor beam. We have to escape that kind of thing. So we thought it'd be fun to talk about the Enterprise incidents. Huh? I like that. You get it, guys? Because the, the episode. Yeah. The other... Anyway, that's <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Enterprise incidents. The ship itself was in jeopardy of being destroyed. We're going to plow on through these, and we, we'll see we'll see where the conversation takes us. So this is pretty much an open form, kind of point by point. When was the ship going to get destroyed? We can count these up. Because, you know, if you do the math, um, which I will not do, I <laughs> I do, but I do think it's, it's, it's a lower percentage than you would think, Ken, of when, like, the Enterprise was truly in jeopardy. What do you think? Oh, I agree with that. I mean, there were times, too, where um, whether it was immunity syndrome or whatnot, where... I don't know. The Enterprise might have survived, but the crew was was doomed, right? Even in the Tholian web, in theory. Uh, so yeah, it, there's there's. I, I I would say I'm I'm not surprised by that. The the Enterprise in the original series was a uh, a pretty solid ship. It um you, you know they played with that tension, but more times than not, it was it was Spock or it was Kirk or McCoy and. They had to be rescued or pulled out of a situation or, or whatnot. You know, I'm trying to remember too. You know, if you if you think of Arena, the ship was in jeopardy, right? If Kirk lost, yeah, yeah, he, the, the, yeah. the aliens would have destroyed the Enterprise. The, the Metron is it Metron or Metron? How do you say it, Ken? I always says the Metrons. I say Metrons as well, but but Shatner, you know, <laughs> says, "Are you a Metron?" His famous yeah. mispronunciation of things. <laughs> no, no, you, you know, people say that all the time, and 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 I think even though I tease P, P, uh, Brandon Shea Motella, having go, I have to go up to Canada pretty often. I've got a plant up there, and I talk to the folks, and that is how they speak. I mean, they say process. I remember when Kirk said docile in a, in an episode. I don't remember which episode it was, and my mother just happened to be watching it over my shoulder many many years ago, and she went docile. It's pronounced docile. I went, oh, okay. That's kind of strange. But you go up to Canada and they say docile, process. Uh, they, it's just, it's an, it's more of an accent. They put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, as they say. <laughs> but, but that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's not mispronunciation as much as it's accent. And then there's also, it's funny too, because do you ever, have you ever listened to one of um, William Shatner's books that he reads? Yes. An audio book? Well, there I do find him sometimes mispronouncing things but it's not usually but it's usually a name right because mm. he was calling Ilea Ilia and I was like damn it I mean she was in the movie with you you say Ilea I say Ilia Ilia <laughs> <laughs> I mean oh, but it, that, that is what it is it's 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 that uh it's it's he's from Montreal and uh you know I, I wonder too I, I never asked but I assume he must speak French fluently which is that, is that on the French side of Canada, so to speak? I don't, I don't know Fra- how. Oh that yeah, all... Montreal is all French. Yes. Mm-hmm. So most people speak both, but it is it is French spoken. You know, you go up there and and all the signage is in French. Well, it's, the signage is both, but everybody will speak French first. That's the first language in Montreal and Quebec, and then um, every place else outside of Quebec really is is English as a first language. So I assume he does, 
which, you know, I, I wonder if Patrick Stewart can make that claim even though he played a French guy. I don't know why I went there, but why not? Just just because Kirk rules, Picard rules, get used to it. Anyway, well, next. Well, okay, so let's talk about that now. Uh, the uh, the self-destruct, right? We'll just get that out of the way. Like, I, I'm i going to try to maybe stay in some kind of order, but, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. It's, it's an open forum discussion here, folks. Uh, the self-destruct, the, the original Enterprise only did the self-destruct twice. It was on Let That Be Your Last Battlefield and Surf Your Spock, and that was it. I don't. I do not recall unless there was some other, you know. I, well, mm, in the motion picture, he does. He does tell Scotty to like blow blow everything up if if things go south. Although they they don't have the whole like destruct code and stuff like that. So I guess that would count as three. Uh, but you know, and if you go to Next Generation, you know, season one, one one zero zero one zero zero one, right? It's like we're halfway through the first season. Picard and Riker are gonna blow up the ship because they think someone's taking it over. Okay, season two. Like second episode of season two, they're gonna blow up the ship. You know, <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. You know, let's 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 not jump to blow up the ship so often. I will say, Nemesis, that was pretty funny. Nemesis, where it's like auto destruct is offline. It's like, oh, <laughs> that was that was pretty funny. Although, it's, it's, if you really wanted to blow up the ship, Picard, just send somebody down there with a phaser and shoot into the warp core, and then it'll blow up. But anyway, get back into TOS because we're gonna hear about <laughs> this one. And you, you, I'm just saying. Now so, that was Zach's rant, and he jumped over the wall. That's fine. <laughs> I was teasing too, but let's save that for when we get those crew when those guys come. We'll back have, on, we'll have we that true have debate, uh, well, you know, when both parties are equally represented. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yes. But uh, my point is, Kirk really loved the Enterprise, and he did not want to destroy it on a whim. You know, uh, so so let that be. Last Battlefield was the only time they actually accessed the self destruct codes, uh, which which I thought it was great that they they called back to that you know word for word, line for line, in Star Trek Three. So. That was pretty cool, now that you think of it. And that Harv Bennett, because he wrote Star Trek Three, you were right. He, I know he he watched all 72 episodes and paid close attention, obviously. 79 so episodes. The, what did I say, 72? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, it is 79. I, I, I know that. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, <laughs> so I don't know why he... Um, he, he uh, I, I, I'm glad, let's put it that way, that, that, that he pulled that in. That That's that's the kind of uh, little Trekkie geek stuff we all love when, the, yeah. when they pull that and just go, yep, that that's absolutely right. So the the, the first one, if, if we want to try and have some kind of guide here and stay in order, if, you know, if we're going in, you know, order of episodes, The Naked Time seems to be the first episode to me that the, the ship was truly in danger and it was spiraling towards Psy 2000. Uh, and, and, you know, I will say in the remastered Star Trek and, you know, from 06, I really felt the special effects here helped the story because in the original version of the episode, you just see the, you know, the matte painting or whatever it is of the planet outlined on the view screen. You're like, oh, Captain, we're, we're spiraling toward the planet and nothing right. changes. It looks exactly the same, right? But in the remastered version, you see like the orbit's getting faster and faster and the planet's getting bigger. I'm like, wow, that is a very subtle change, but mm-hmm. a very important change because it adds jeopardy to the stakes without being too intrusive or anything. But truly, like the, the ship is going to crash into the planet. So that that's definitely a uh, an enterprise incident if there ever if there ever was one, right, Ken? I can't change the laws of physics. <laughs> that's all I know. I've and got to did. have thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's that. I guess that is the very first one that I can recall, anyway. And it was sabotage, right? So sabotage. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> uh, so so I'm looking at so the list I have open right now is in uh, air date order. Just mm-hmm. for, for all you nerds out there, ner- fellow nerds out there, excuse me, <laughs> we're gonna be like, well, actually, uh, <laughs> because the next one, the next one is corporate might maneuver, 
Okay, and mm-hmm. I know that one was third and first and all that, but okay, we we all know what's going on here. So that so whatever reason people do, whenever you, you go on Wikipedia, you go on any list, you go on any home video release, for the most part, it's air date order. And I'm more of a production order guy because I like to see you know how all the things come together. Like okay, who was wearing gold for a couple episodes, then she switches to red. They figure out Spock's makeup, that kind of stuff. The collars get all situated, uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, that's the list I'm looking at, so that's the list we're going down. So that, that's that's it. So Cobra Night Maneuver is next. Obviously, they were going to blow up the Enterprise there. Well, you know, can I skip back to what you were talking about before, the episodes? Oh, sure. Product order and, and date. So they had the shot, obviously, when they came up with the DVDs and uh, Netflix. So wherever else you watch it, Amazon, you can watch them 100 times. I, you know, I'm, I'm just curious because you brought that up. And this is another, hey, it's another standard over, uh, orbit. Here we go again. Why didn't they just change it? Why didn't they just put them in, in production order so that things would seem more in sync? You know? I believe, and I know thing. someone out there has the answer to this, but I believe from one of my memory when I was a kid looking at like videotapes in stores and stuff, I believe the VHS release, like the individual episodes, I believe those were in production order. Because I, I want to say like I saw, you know, Baylock on like, tape three or something or you know uh i might be wrong i know i know somewhere along the line one of the home video releases were in production order but outside of that everything you know has been in broadcast order and that's just the way they do it because they made such a big deal when the, you know, the sci-fi channel special edition came out in 98 like in original broadcast order i'm like but why why are we deciding to show things the way nbc arbitrarily decided you know 50 years ago now why is that still our standard we're using standard a lot in this episode, but our stand the standard viewing order. I don't I don't get. It. I guess people want to say they want to experience it the same way that fans experienced it 50 years ago. I'm like, okay, does that really make a difference? I, I don't know, but I, I think that's the I, I think know. that's I, the I, reason you can. I think they want to keep in that same viewing order experience or whatever. I remember as a kid when I watched the episodes, is and and as I think back to it, they did, um, you know, when it was in. Um, when it, when it was on, let's say, probably Channel 56, 70, yeah, 78, 79, or whatever. It, it was always done on air order. It, you know, it, it's just, it was just common. And so you could, and it was on every day. So you could figure out very quickly where you were, you know, as far as what season and everything. And and you, you could tell right after uh, um, the final episode that it was going to flip and you'd be back over again. So I, I even think that... Um, when they showed it in syndication, they went in air date order a lot of times. I, I don't know if if other independent stations around the country flipped it around or not, but I, I think that's how they did it. Well, from what I've heard, I mean, it, depending on what part of the country you're in, it was all up to the TV stations, so it would just be in random order. And that's the, that's the whole thing about why syndicated shows, they wanted to be episodic, so you could theoretically show them in any order. Although I don't know what the problem is. Like, if it doesn't matter... What, this is quite a tangent, but if it doesn't matter what order, you know... I think we'll change the name of this one. Yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> You never know where the conversation's going to go here on Stenner Orbit. But yeah, yeah I mean, do. if you're like, oh, well, we just wanted to make sure that whatever affiliate showed them, they could show them in any order they chose. I'm like, why don't you just give them a list and say, show them this order? How, how hard is that? Like, oh, tape one's done, tomorrow's tape two. How hard is that? But anyway, let's bring it back around. The Corbinite River, we did a whole show about that. I forget what number it was. It's called Upping the Game. I know, I do know that. Do you know what no, number it was? That kid? long ago, not off the top. It was, of it was very recent. So check it out, guys. Uh, again, lack of research as well <laughs> before this show. 
<laughs> but uh, so we, we talked in depth about that. And that's a great episode. It introduces you to the ship and like Kirk going through the corridors and all that. And then you realize how big the Enterprise is. And then you realize how big Baylock's ship is, right? The Viserys from the First Federation. And you're like, wow, that must be really big. Uh, but they clearly are of a superior technological alien race and they could destroy the enterprise if they wanted but they chose not to another, another classic and this is a trope we'll find as, as we talk through these the classic super powerful alien that will destroy you if you're not worthy and that was the case in the Corbinite maneuver luckily Balak was a good guy and uh, the heroes proved their worth and they were not destroyed but yeah the enterprise could have easily been destroyed there yeah yeah it was it was definitely it and it practically destroyed itself trying to get away from that buoy yeah. if you think about it it uh i'm sorry uh, i'm sorry the Viserys two or the very small ship whatever, <laughs> that, that was pulling when it was trying to break away but yeah you're right and i just remember that uh you know things were at 112 or 20 and 30 percent and yeah the engines were going to go and they just kept pushing it until they were able to break free so they almost did it to themselves uh and they you know they, they were they were willing to take that kind of a risk to uh to break away which was pretty fascinating i mean uh, baylock's test was a pretty tough test you know that that he he knew exactly. I guess when to release the Enterprise. I assume he did. Anyway. <laughs> He's sitting there watching the meters. You know? I think so. He had to have because otherwise, you know, how would he? Uh, it seems to me like they had him. But at any rate, the um, that was that was the first time that I remembered. I also took it for granted that the um, the Corbomite maneuver, even if they if they t- did try to destroy the ship, I wonder if they would have played a little bit with the matter antimatter and you know. Uh, there, there might have been a little bit of hurt to um, to the Viserys, but anyway. Well, they, I don't think they had quite figured out. I mean, we're still talking about we're from Space Central and the United Earth Space Probe Agency <laughs> at that point, so I don't think they had quite figured out the matter anti matter anti matter uh, intermix chamber and all that stuff that we just take for granted here that early on in the show. Oh, I see what you did there. You went back to like TV show land, not not into the not into the Star Trek universe, you know. They're, they're talking about lithium crystals and not dilithium crystals, for example. Well, you hey, lithium crystals, man, those things obviously will catch on fire and explode. <laughs> 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 That's good. Oh man. Uh, so <laughs> moving on from that, uh, you know, I think the next one here would really be Balance of Terror. Obviously, the Enterprise had its match, and the Romulan Bird of Prey took a lot of hits. Uh, you know, if, they, if not for Kirk's cleverness as a commander, uh, tactician, then uh, they might have been destroyed by the, uh, the bird of prey and that energy weapon that uh, easily destroyed so many outposts on the neutral zone. We love Balance of Terror, and, and the ship, um, it proved its worth. And, and a lot of times, too, it's funny in these movies, uh, the World War II type movies, um, it's, it's a good mix. It depends if the view is from, let's say, the good guy's ship, whether it's a surface ship or a submarine. If the good guy ship is a submarine, the submarine wins. <laughs> if it's a surface <laughs> ship, and the <laughs> it wins. So in this one, you know, it, it really was a surface ship versus a submarine, and in this case, it won. And um, it doesn't make a lot of sense as to why they won. I, I've watched that episode uh, many, many, many times, and uh, they exposed themselves. But um, when it came to firing the weapons, somehow we were faster, even though people were passed out and couldn't shoot, and um, it was odd. But anyway, good. Good on Kirk. He got him. Indeed, he did. And then, so the next one would be Arena. And as we as we briefly mentioned earlier, the Metrons mm-hmm. uh, would have destroyed the Enterprise had they uh, had they failed the test. I, you know, man, that's so. If Kirk had killed the Gorn, then they w- the the Metrons would have destroyed. I'm gonna keep saying it that way. Would have yeah. destroyed the Enterprise and then let the Gorn ship go and be like, hey, sorry about your captain, but we killed the other guys. So go about your business. I guess that's what would have happened. 
Well, I think you said if the Gorn killed Kirk, or no, if if Kirk, you said if Kirk killed the Gorn, then the Enterprise would be destroyed. It's the other way around, right? So if Kirk killed the Gorn, then the Gorn ship goes boom, or vice versa. I think that's how it works. Well, I'm, well, Kirk chose not to kill that's the Gorn. Right. That's right. So he took the high road. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we were talking about upping the game, which was episode 155, I took a peek, um, and, and how different way of thinking, you know, um, uh, aliens look big, bad, and nasty, and they turn out not to be, and they go in another direction, and it kind of, you know, changes the whole philosophical approach to what, what Gene Roddenberry's vision was. In this one, same thing again. You know, it's like you win, you usually kill the monster. Um, think about Western eras. I mean, how often did the bad guys live? They always got shot in the end, right? And everybody's happy. Uh, and the Gorn, you know, you know, he would have looked pretty cool in a cowboy hat. That would have been one <laughs> sexy Gorn. Uh, it, it, it changes everything. But uh, you're right. The, the, in this case, the whole the whole crew and the ship were in jeopardy. This wasn't one of those episodes where it was just Kirk. It was... Uh, every it was it was all in, and uh, they needed the captain to win. And then tomorrow is yesterday. Mentioned in the email, I don't think the Enterprise was truly in jeopardy there. I mean, the the F sixteens weren't going to just damage it, and you know the falling through the quote unquote black star didn't damage it. And maybe you know maybe going around the sun if they had miscalculated, they could have been burned up. I mean, that's really the only true jeopardy I think the Enterprise would be in. I'm trying to remember, but I thought there was a line where Spock said that um, in their current condition. If, mm. um, if 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 they were to take a shot, I mean, they were in the atmosphere. I don't know if their shields were up. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I since I've seen it, but I I got the impression that if that plane was allowed to fire and it was sailing away, I mean, the Enterprise was really trying to was really picking up speed and getting out of there. Um, I don't think that. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't think the missiles. I'm pretty sure they were probably uh, old F four Phantoms or something. But anyway, I I think that um, the Enterprise could have been hurt. But uh, yeah, probably not necessarily exploded, but it would have outrun the missile. It was it was it was picking up speed pretty quick. So there's that one, and then the next one I, on my number here would be Aaron of Mercy. Uh, you know, obviously the, right. the Klingon fleet and the Starfleet fleet, mm-hmm. the Star the Starfleet fleet, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, are going to fight, and that gets stopped. But uh, that could very easily have been a uh, catastrophic encounter for the Enterprise. If you're going to full scale war, you never know which ship's going to make it out. So definitely ship is in danger there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they had a whole fleet with them and they didn't show anything. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all we can say about that. Really, that's uh, all I can say. There was just a lot of glowing lights going back and forth, but that's about it. Now the alternative factor, of course, uh, two universes were going to be destroyed. So you got to count the enterprise as part of those universes. So, I count the alternative factor as a time the Enterprise would have been destroyed had they not uh, kept the Lazari in that corridor there. Did you uh, did you keep a recording of of Bichet, you know, doing the ah oh, falls off? <laughs> you should probably insert it right there. No, 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 no. You know, that sound cue. <laughs> oh, God, no, 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 no. I, I I think we we played that sound cue out even more than the episode did itself. <laughs> um, Sydney Legend Forever. I mean, uh, the Enterprise being erased from existence. That would be danger would it not it would it would i think in terms of this conversation um i think we're talking more like a physical threat or something along you know either we're going to blow it up or they're going to die but it's definitely yeah i mean everything is about to go go bye-bye right 
Yeah, you know, in the original uh, drafts of City on the Edge Forever, there was originally going to be an alternate Enterprise they beam up to, and you know, there's like pirates and stuff like that, almost like the Mirror Universe, uh, before the Mirror Universe, predating that. And I'm glad they eliminated that. That have just been just, I mean, that episode was so packed as it is, that just been another plot line that would have gotten messy. And, and why would, like, that ship, like, if all the timeline's so different, right, that, that the Enterprise would still be in orbit and that alternate timeline that that kind of stretches believability so i'm glad they kind of they took that out and just it's just the lack of existence is such a profound loss it's hard to even think about you know like like what is it worse to like die or like to have never existed i mean that's that's some deep stuff so i'm, I'm so i'm glad they circumvented that problem by restoring the timeline so yes me too I'm with you. <laughs> Thank you for that insightful mm-hmm. feedback there, Ken, on that profound no, no, statement. No, no, man. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, you know, I, you're going to start talking about thinking about, you know, having never existed. What would that be life? And it's like, well, that kind of answers itself, Zach. I really don't know what to add to that. So uh, then moving on, then, who mourns for Adonais? Adonai? How do you pronounce this? We're ta- pronounce- we should make this the pronouncement episode, I swear. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, you know, I, I've kind of taken it. I think since I, I listened to... Um, mission log, and and they say Adonias. I've I've kind of just adapted, or you know, I figured you know the Roddenberry, they, those guys should know. It was funny though, but growing up, I always used to say because I, I I knew of the Greek god Adonis, right, or mm-hmm. the big muscle man, and so I, I think most of the time I would say Adonis, even though I I knew that probably wasn't correct right. when you see it on the screen, but. Yeah, I think it's Ardeneus. Sounds right. So, wh- what was he going to do with the Enterprise itself in that episode? I do not recall. Uh... Well, he just had it in his hand, right? He was going to crush it. And right. The, it, the the shields, or I mean, I know it was a the hand was a manifestation of um, you know a shield or whatever it was that was a vice type of thing, but it did add a lot of pressure to the hull, and um, when he wasn't getting his way. As you remember, everybody was grabbing their ears from the from the extreme amount of pressure right. he was applying. He was shooting ship. lightning bolts at him. So yeah, I think it would have been either crushed or destroyed by his lightning bolts. So I, mm-hmm. I, I would I would I would categorize that as the ship being in danger. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. Now the apple though, Vol had like a tractor beam on the Enterprise, and it would have pulled it down and destroyed it had they not, because uh, that's what really forced Kirk hand, Kirk's hand. I mean, yes, they were having a good time and what they thought was paradise, then red shirts keep dying left and right, and they're like, okay, well, we got to get out of here. But then they couldn't, and the Enterprise is being trapped, and that's what really uh, set off the, the main drama was that the ticking ticking clock of the Enterprise uh, spiraling, again, more like naked time, you know, slowly, more slowly this time, but coming down to its destruction, spiraling towards the surface. So definitely that would be one where the ship itself would have been destroyed. And of course, this is the famous episode where Kirk kind of mentions the saucer separation. Uh, yes, that's right. The yeah, only instance yeah. of that until beyond. Yep, that's right. He actually that that's that's that was the the beginning of the understanding that this thing could do more than you could think. You know, just take out the main section if you have to. And uh, interesting, that was also the episode that Scotty got fired and rehired <laughs> fairly quickly. And we also found out that he earns a paycheck. So, yes, so but there was no money go. in the twenty third century, Ken. Okay, Trekonomics major. <laughs> so the Doomsday Machine goes without saying. Destroyed the Constellation, destroyed that shuttlecraft, would have destroyed the Enterprise if it kept going. That's a, and, that, and that, that's one of its greater challenges, I think, of, uh, you know, as we talk through these, we can we can say, like, which ones are really up there. You know, uh, the Rhymeland Bird of Prey would definitely be up there. Uh, as you mentioned, the Klingon fleet was just a bunch of flashing lights, so it's hard. It, like, like, intellectually, you know it's serious, but, like, you know, on a, on a very, like, 
just in an engaged viewer level, you don't really feel the danger of the of the fleet, the vague fleet. But you feel the danger of the bird of prey popping out, you know, uncloaking, firing at you, you know, recloaking, decloaking, uncloaking, recloaking, all that good stuff. <laughs> By the doomsday machine, you can't. You, they can't even penetrate its its uh, exterior. They're firing phasers at it. They bounce off. Right. It's a pretty hopeless situation. So uh, that definitely, you really felt the drama there, especially Commodore Decker, who had lost his own ship. You know, he's freaking out. You know, you see when he flies in there, you see the terror on his face. So that that is very visceral danger from the Doomsday Machine. Definitely right up there with the Romulan Bird of Prey. Yeah, well, it, it is interesting if you look at it from this perspective. The only way to destroy the Doomsday Machine was by destroying a starship. Mm. You, you wouldn't have killed it otherwise. And uh, that, that's that, that's pretty interesting. It just happened that it wasn't the Enterprise, right, that, that they could use the Constellation in that episode. I also think there's another theme here, too, as, as we've been talking. And um, I'll add a little bit more feedback than, yeah, that's right, Zach. Um, <laughs> it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it turns out for him. <laughs> You know, they, they use their intellect, they use science, they use problem-solving techniques, they use teamwork. They come up with a lot of ways to defeat the threat, even if they are overmatched from, you know, a technological or size or weaponry, right? They, they outthink their opponents. They, they find ways. They use innovative methods to come up with ways to, uh, to defeat. And that's, 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 that's a really cool thing about, about Star Trek. Right is is and they say oh Star Trek's so cerebral. Well, it can't, but you can you can you can bring the two together. You know, you you can have the best of both worlds. You can have action, suspense, and all this other stuff, along with trying to come up with a way to defeat an enemy that's much bigger. And you know, it becomes kind of a a trope when it becomes just the huge mega sized ships that are always pouring down on the Enterprise uh, uh-huh. and 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 trying to you know make it work well it becomes it becomes a shootout and that's not that interesting when there's no there's no stakes it's you know it's like uh, two superheroes who are invulnerable hitting each other it's like well what are the what are the stakes here like you know you're just gonna keep shooting you're gonna keep hitting that's right but but if you take and we'll we'll get there but you you know if you think about star trek 2 you know the enterprise was in much worse shape than than the reliant but yet you know they they outthought it they out they 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 came up with a clever way of of making a disadvantage uh, the ship status to an advantage their experience in space and thinking differently and that's what i mean it, you, you can take action you can you can think of a strategic way to get at the, the end game uh, and still win and, and the doomsday machine was was very much that but if you think about all the other episodes even you know what we're talking about now it's it's usually something that they they make a a decision on and then they make the right call it isn't that um you know their phasers are much stronger than their opponents so zap and it's over <laughs> that's kind of cool so cat spa would be the next one uh, oh boy really? i mean I, I, yeah well hey the enterprise gets miniaturized and you know, hung over a flame so and frozen right and all kinds of crazy stuff so uh ship is definitely in danger there and i love i love the subplot of this episode i'm pretty sure i've mentioned this before but got the subplot up there they're like we're gonna find a way to break through this force field guys and it goes nowhere because they don't they they <laughs> they don't they have, they have no influence on what happens to the ship you know on the ship itself it's all kirk and the away teams the landing party excuse me the landing party's dealings with uh sylvia and korob down there they get the ship out of the the situation that there was no ingenuity you know we're talking about using ingenuity getting out of the problem classic star trek procedure none of that happens in that episode 
They're like, no, we're, we're going to no. try really hard and figure this out. And, and in another episode, they would. They'd be like, we found a way to break through the shield. Cap, like, you know, check off and be all excited or something. Doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have no role in saving the ship. <laughs> Completely That's passive. That's point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's it's talking about this episode is a lot like speak. There was there was a a, a few different podcasts, and a, and I've heard that when it, when it comes to Halloween and watching Cat's Paw, um, it's a funny thing to watch, I guess, while you're drinking and you drink heavily, and then it, you know, <laughs> is it just it's just funny as hell. And I'm trying to remember, and I know you'd remember it. Is there a scene where they're looking out the view screen when they're tiny and they see the giant faces? And I think actually, I think that's Requiem for Methuselah. Oh, that's right, that's right. It's either that, yeah. But the same thing happens. You see like the Enterprise model, and you know, it could be actually could they might have done it both times. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that, that's not a window. It's not the Kelvin timeline. Okay, uh, it's just funny you see Kirk looking in there. You know, giant Kirk. <laughs> giant Kirk. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, mm-hmm. So the next one I would say would be the Deadly Years when the Enterprise goes through Romulan space and they're just getting pummeled by the Romulan birds of prey. People, a lot of people forget that the Romulans are in this episode. They're actually a, they are in addition to the aging disease. The Romulans are the uh, other threat of the ship itself because you know the the useless commodore you know he, i mean he's not he's just not cut for starship command they even say that in the episode he's like oh i don't know guys what do, what do we do <laughs> it's just inept commander there but the ship is being pummeled by the romulans here and kirk has to come out kirk gets uh, you know de-aged and he, he bounces onto the bridge and he's like here here's what we're gonna do we're gonna do the, we're gonna do the corbinite maneuver again <laughs> and it works right. on the romulans and that's how they escape but if they hadn't done that they're they were out they were out shipped i mean there were there were a lot more romulans than them and they could have easily been destroyed. It's because we don't actually see Romulans themselves in this episode. People forget that the Romans are in it, but they're in it in a big way. Oh, they are. And it's it's an excellent point, too. And, you know, I always think back to that. Uh, I forget the Commodore's name, but uh, he was it, it. it's another common flaw across all of the Star Trek episodes where everything is done by rank versus position and knowledge and um you know, in the real world, that that's just not the way it works, okay? And by the way, uh, I'm going to step over the wall here. There's mm-hmm. no way a counselor is fit to command. Now we move on. Okay. She, she's in no place to pilot either, but moving on, moving on. we got to stay on our side, stay, on our, uh, stay in our lane. Yeah, keep that wall up. Yeah. <laughs> um, the immunity syndrome. Enterprise would have been destroyed there as well, right? When the amoeba, you know, duplicated well, itself it, and overrided the whole universe. What it would have been? A, is it more of an organic thing? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I said at the beginning of the episode that's a tough one. I think the Enterprise itself might have survived because it's it's not being impacted um, by the cell itself. Everything in it is right, and it actually does penetrate the cell and winds up, it, it, you know, in the body, uh, and it's able to get back out. So obviously. Um, the crew would have perished, just like the Vulcan crew did on the Intrepid. So I, 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 I'm not sure, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, yeah, I think she, you know, she probably would have been a Hulk or whatnot. But uh, yeah, she, she might have survived. But what good is that if the crew's dead? Right. So you know. So yeah, yeah. So that would that would not really classify what we're talking about, I guess. Mm, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I guess it could have. Who knows. Maybe he would have. Maybe Who knows? That's what we're here to figure out, Ken. That is what they pay yeah, us to do. Yeah, maybe. Well, I guess where I'm going is if 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 Spock had died and not whacked it in the side to let them know that he was he was alive and kind of talk through what they needed to do, you could maybe surmise 
that maybe they, they, they would have self-destructed before they died. I don't know if that would have split the cells and caused, created a bigger problem, mm. but that, that might have been one way to, to, try to, to, to try to kill it, right? Well, definitely one that does count is the ultimate computer because we had four Constitution-class starships fighting the Enterprise in what was initially war games, but then when M5 took over, it became you know, real space, space battles, and uh, the Enterprise really would have been destroyed. Uh, if they had not overcome the uh, the M5, and it took, you know, uh, talking about competent Star Trek commanders, uh, Commodore Wesley, actually one of the few fellow Star Trek commanders in Star Trek who's a competent commander, right? He does not crazy, he's not evil, <laughs> you know, he's just, he's not clueless. Uh, he uses his own commanding intuition to decide, okay, you know what? This could be a trap, but something tells me this isn't a trap. Don't fire on the Enterprise, because at that point, the Enterprise was helpless, right? All the systems have been turned off, right? It would be a tactical, a textbook tactical procedure of the M5, like, let's act like we're dead, you know, play possum, right? Uh, let's do this, you know, sneak, uh, trap the, uh, trick, excuse me, trick the enemy ships to come in, then blow them up. But, because, you know, Wesley's a good commander, he was like, you know what? I think, I think this is on the level. I think, I think, uh, I think we're good here. So that saved the Enterprise from, from being destroyed by its, by its fellow fleet mates. He took a hell of a risk. He really did. And, you know, you, you think about those, those situations where it really was 50-50, you know. And uh, no, you're right. I, I, I don't know if it he, – he was pretty competent, um, although he was kind of, kind of mean with the whole Captain Tunsil, I thought, you know. And that's another thing, folks, you know, um, that I pay very close attention, as you know, to these episodes. It's just sometimes I haven't watched them all in a while. But anyway, in this episode in particular, when they were defining what a Captain Dunsell was, they said it was a common phrase used by midshipmen, right? And that's what, that's what uh, Navy uh, students are called and Marine mm-hmm. students are called, midshipmen. Armies are called cadets. But did you notice after that episode that if you went to Starfleet, you were a cadet from then on? Well, then in Star Trek too, it's, it's Midshipman Peter Pressman, right? Uh, that's, uh, that was his rank. Yeah. yeah so so it, the naval thing from Nicholas Meyer yeah. carried on there, but definitely Next Generation was all cadets and Starfleet Academy, and that's you You only hear the term cadet like from there on. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So we need to fix that. So we need to go back and re-edit all of those shows to make <laughs> well, it right. I'll get to work on that immediately, Ken. If you don't mind. Uh, when I have the time. Uh, it, tw- so- it tweaks me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next one would be the Enterprise Incident, which what we have already decided we're going to name this episode after. Uh, th- there should be no need for explanation here. It's very similar to, again, the Rhymelands are always involved when the Enterprise is in true jeopardy. Uh, I mean, you're surrounded by two... Uh, it depends on what version, I should say, of the Enterprise incident you watch. If it's the original version, you're surrounded by three Romulan battlecruisers. If it's the remastered version, it's two Romulan battlecruisers and a Romulan bird of prey. So, yeah, definitely the Enterprise, had it not uh, done its whole steal the cloaking device and warp out of here and cloak, definitely would have been destroyed by the Romulans. Yes, yes. And we actually, it, you know, it was, it was Spock, really, right? I mean... Boy, he, he was he was cunning and deceptive and oh jeepers! I I mean it was it was it was quite a a method that was chosen to keep the Romulans off guard. What's interesting to me is that uh, you know that, that it, it all kind of fell on that one command ship 
that the other two ships, you know, weren't getting feisty. You know how the Romulans are. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's make a call here, and they just kept waiting and waiting. But anyway, yep, they would have been uh, they would have been toast because you did have at least one Romulan bird of prey that had that super weapon and at very close range, and there was no place for the Enterprise to go. Right. And then you had those two other starships, uh, the Klingon, was it Katinga class or whatever they called it, uh, D seven. D seven, yeah. D seven. That um, they, you know that, that was that was right up their nose, and um, if they, if they wanted to, it would have been a very bad day for the Enterprise. So the next one would be the Tholian Web. Like, it's, it's like we're going through these like uh, best episode lists here. <laughs> it's in a lot of the best episodes, the Enterprise does find itself in jeopardy. Uh, it's not the only form of jeopardy, but even so, uh, the Enterprise gets trapped in the titular... F- t- 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 is that how you say it? <laughs> we get in trouble for saying that? <laughs> the titular yeah. Tholian Web. Um, which is a... Uh, I gotta say, it's not the most efficient way to defeat an enemy ship is it ken well from our standards no we don't know what their enemies were on the other side and, mm-hmm. and why they deployed those methods um and maybe they um like you know versus just killing they capture maybe they interrogate maybe to them it's it's better to save that technology um you know or uh if if we all know that one or two ships were really no match for the Enterprise, and uh, if the Enterprise didn't have to just sit there, she would have warped out, come around, and, and taken them out. But um, for for more ships to come or to render assistance, it's uh, it's it's just different. I guess I look at it from what you're used to. If 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 it was a, a few hundred years ago, and um, you know you're a Native American, let's put it that way, and you know your weapons were similar it's no big deal but then when the colonists arrived with guns well then it's a game changer right so your 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 technology is used based in the uh, in the area that you use it and why you use it and how you use it and um, and until something else is introduced to you you don't realize that oh my way is ineffective so i think the tholian way to them is they were kind of uh, a nasty race i mean you know they 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 weren't known for being patient or kind or anything along those lines, so it, you know it 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 must have it must have worked. Plus they they did um, they did have uh, laser weapons, right? They they had phaser weapons or something along. They, they weren't very powerful compared to the Enterprise, but at least they had a uh, a pretty cool method. I thought of of detaining. I you know ever since I was a kid, I always loved that episode because of that web. I always thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very visually striking. Yeah, I mean it's, it's different. You know, it's not just another laser or disruptor or anything like that yeah yeah and they were very slow and methodical and put that web together too you know it's like the folding web is like it's like the uh the kind of death trap like james bond villain or a an old, yeah. an old batman tv series villain puts you in you know it's like okay i'm gonna leave but i'm gonna trust this device to kill you while i'm gone it's like right, uh, i don't right. know about that but yeah. uh it's like anyway. scott now just just shoot him in the head you, you don't get it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's see. I mean, they get into space battle in a land of Troyes, but it wasn't too serious, you know, with the Klingons. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to, ship's going to blow up. Like, I didn't I didn't get that from that episode. No, there, the, wasn't, the there wasn't any real tension there. Uh, let that be your last battlefield, you know, the, uh, okay, we, we talked about the self-destruct. I mean, that, that got to the point where Kirk just didn't refuse to let his ship, uh, be out of his control basically right. he was just asserting dominance of the enterprise by saying look if if we can't be in control no one can be we're gonna blow it up and you know 
there are different ways to approach that. I don't know if that's the the best situation. Like, what would you what would you do in that situation, Ken? Like, would I would you... not. I, you know, I was thinking about that. I I don't think I would have. I I don't know that that's that's a huge thing to put four hundred and thirty two uh, people's lives in da- in jeopardy or to kill the ship or, or whatever. I mean, he we know he was using it as transportation to bring this guy back. There was nothing to indicate to me that he he was going to do anything beyond that. And it became a um, became a war of will, mm. and I, I I find that 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 approach was great. I mean, it takes a lot of guts to do that. Uh, obviously, he wasn't Kirk was not bluffing, and 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 Lokai needed the ship, right? Uh, so, yeah, it, 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 I I I don't think I would have. Yeah, is, is that the hill you're going to choose to die on, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, it'd be one thing if, like, you were going to, if, if people were going to commandeer the Enterprise and use its superior technology to wage war against a less less superior race. Like, that's like, okay, well, we got to stop here. But literally, you're just going to take this guy back to his home planet, and that's it. Like, that's yes, it. He, it, it's tough because, yeah, you can't just like any powerful alien. You can't let him come in and push you around, right? That's uh, right. But at the same time. Like, do we, as you said, 400 other lives to consider. Is it really worth it? Yeah, I, I thought it was it was a bit extreme. Again, it added to some good tension, and um, it was it was neat to kind of to, to see it play out. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was a bit over the top. But that's me. Requiem for Methuselah has another classic let's shrink the Enterprise and look in the, <laughs> look in the view screen. <laughs> really, I need, to, I need to go back and revisit both those episodes now and, and find out which was which, like which episode did the whole, or maybe they both did. I don't know, but, you know, it's the classic, like the Enterprise on the table. Like they, they literally use the model from the show and just put it on the table. Uh, hey, nothing wrong with that. That's creative, I guess. It was a, a, yeah, was it was it the one from the show or one from the model kit? It was pretty small. No, that was, no, no the, the, to my knowledge, the only model kit they used on the show was uh, for the Constellation and the Doomsday okay. Machine. The other, every, all the other times you see an Enterprise... Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's the model, and um, yeah, I want to say the more I think about it, because forgive me, I don't revisit Cat's Ball very much. Who can blame me? Uh, mm-hmm. I want to say you, I remember the the gold medallion that they pass over the flame, and maybe that maybe you don't see the model in Cat's Ball. Maybe you just see the gold medallion of the Enterprise. Uh, that's what I'm thinking we see, and then they put it in like that the crystal or, or whatever to, to freeze it, which as we said, the crew <laughs> dedicates themselves to breaking out of and never do. But in well, Methuselah, we see the model. Here's the good news. Here's yeah. the good news. Three seconds after Christopher Baca hears that, here's what you just said. We will have an answer. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> that guy we, is phenomenal. We know we can count on you guys for, for these answers. So, Oh my goodness. But he is unreal. How fast that data comes in. And how thorough it is, and how it's referenced, I, I, he has got to be the—I um, uh, don't know—a a master professor at Star Trek University. I mean, unbelievable. And and there's some pretty good folks out there. And I know we have a lot of people on the teams or whatever, Jeff and Brandon, who who win all these these trivia. I got to think Christopher could take them all on. Sorry, I didn't mean to divest, but we <laughs> no, will no, have sure. our answer. We will have our answer. Uh, so, but. I- did you I like, say divest? That, I di- divest, invest, digress. Digress, uh, digress. It, it uh, makes a tangible danger mm-hmm. for the ship because it's always like, oh, Vol has us in a tractor beam. Or, you know, it's kind of it's it's vague, right? But when you see, oh, look, Flint just sh- shrunk the Enterprise to put on this table here. I mean, he could go over there and push it over and kill everybody if he wanted to, right? Sure. So that's a lot more tangible danger. So I, I like I like how they approach the same kind of things in different ways. 
on the original mm-hmm. series. It's like the ship is in danger this way, it's in danger that way. We have a powerful person, alien or entity that right. has power over it. Which better way to just shrink it, put it in your hands, and say, "Look, I can I can crush this if I want. Don't mess with me." So, yeah, which in outer space makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things to to explore and understand and you know you've got planets that are 10 times bigger than earth or much more actually much much bigger than that um who knows what the size and scale of what you're going to be coming up against it's 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 fascinating and i think that's it for the original series and the savage curtain i don't believe they're going to destroy the enterprise uh i think I thought just... they were going to kill the, everybody right if they well yeah but they were going to kill the crew but then yeah. i mean they might as well destroy the enterprise at that point because like i've got the ship <laughs> Here, just let it float. <laughs> I don't know what they're gonna do with the ship itself. They didn't make a point like the like the Metrons did. Nope, they're gonna destroy the ship. Uh, so the Excalbians. Uh, for a long term, I, I for a long time I thought they were the Excalibans. You know, like Excalibur. They're the Excalbians. Sure. It's a difference, folks. So, uh, so that that's the show. The others have fled. You have won. <laughs> what a what a way to finish. That's T. That's TOS. Literally, and we've talked about this before. Every single Star Trek movie, the Enterprise is in jeopardy. Within reason, right? Star Trek 1, obviously, it's in V'ger. V'ger wasn't going to blow it up. It was going to rescue the Enterprise from the carbon unit infestation. But, as we said, Kirk was going... He told Scotty to, you know, uh, blow it up, basically. Scotty Scotty explains to one of the the midshipmen there, or (laughs) or whoever whoever that is, like, Sir, what is plan B? Or whatever it is. Um, that's Star Trek Five, but uh, that's when the Enterprise would have would have been destroyed there. And then Star Trek Two, obviously, the Reliant beat it up pretty bad, and that was in serious danger if they had not played their uh, by the book trickery. Which, by the way, they spell that out. Star Trek Two is great, but they shouldn't have just blatantly spelled out Admiral. If we go by the book, like Lieutenant Savick, it's like really Spock. Can we can we have just you know you know what I'm saying, Ken? I do. The first time I saw it, though, I didn't pick up on it. You know, I mean, I, I just thought he was just. You're right. I mean, you, you, you know. I mean, we've watched it now probably five <laughs> or six hundred times, and that's no joke. I know it's sad, but anyway, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Now it's like, okay, um, you know, because there was an earlier scene in Star Trek II when uh, they're using the prefix code, and if you if you listen to the the commentary by Nick Meyer, that that Kirk kind of channels that he's not just going to be sending the Genesis information over to the Reliant, that something's off his sleeve because of the way he says, you know, here it comes. Here and it comes. <laughs> here it comes. And and they and he just kept making him do it and do it and do it till he got tired, and he sent it in a way that wasn't transmitting, that there was something beyond what he was going to be doing. Yeah, I think and, he said uh, it took like 20 takes or something, and Shabbat's finally like, like crazy. Yeah. here it comes. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, here it comes. Yeah, and it was it was interesting. So they worked really, really hard to ensure that the messaging was subtle and you weren't telegraphing your next step. And yet they do it in the script. But then they do it right there with the by the book. So, you know, I thought that was really, really interesting that you said that and, and you were right. But I do remember, you know, I, the, the first, I, I saw it in, uh, in June of 1982. I do remember seeing it in the movie theater and in, in not picking up the by the book you know, I was a lot younger too. But anyway, they they 
uh, I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. You know, when they're explaining it, when they're beaming over that type of thing. And of course the whole, you lied. I exaggerated. Yeah. It was perfect. It was beautiful. <laughs> exactly. But you're right. It is, it is funny how hard they work to not telegraph and then how blatantly they telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as we love talking about Star Trek three here on standard orbit and, uh, <laughs> There's not a, a more perfect example of an Enterprise incident like we're talking about than Star Trek Three, where the Enterprise gets destroyed. Like just blown up. It's 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 gone. That's it. I mean, this is the one time the original series Enterprise get the one and only, right? Gets blown up and uh, it's sad. My god bones. What have I done? Mm-hmm. It was very sad. It's uh, you know, there was so much trauma in in the first uh well, in Star Trek two and Star Trek three. A lot of death. A lot of death. Uh, Spock, Kirk's son, and then the Enterprise. Yeah. yeah. And as we were talking about, this is a lot more appropriate time to blow up the Enterprise because it has the secrets of Genesis and the data and the data tapes, and that's what the Klingons want it, right? They want to take over the Enterprise. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, the Enterprise, when it's well, working... It's, up. It <laughs> well, when, up. when it's working, it's a much more sophisticated ship than a bird of prey, so they want to take that over, and that's a, that's a, we're going to transfer our flag there, and that's a big deal for them. So and that's why Kirk does it. The, what you talk about, talk about a ballsy move by Kirk, right? I mean, like they they didn't know that they'd have a ship, right? I mean, that, that they're just they're just making this up as they go along. You know, they, how are they going to get off the planet? Like they're beaming down to a planet. I guess at that point they didn't know Genesis was destroying itself because they had just shown up. They didn't know about the whole proto matter situation, but still they were going to strand themselves on this planet with no means of escape, just to ensure the Klingons didn't get Genesis. So uh, that that's a hard car move, and that is a lot more. A reasonable and again not 400 other people on the ship to consider it's just like the the main uh crew right there on the bridge they had to evacuate and that's all so a lot more appropriate so, time to blow it up it was the setup was perfect for it it really was uh like i said the, the ship was um even before the battle i mean it had a lot of battle damage it was going to be decommissioned its value from the very beginning of the episode was kind of you kind of got the the, <laughs> the glimpse of how starfleet viewed it at the, this the, point. the kelly blue book value of the 1701 was quite low at that yeah point. yeah you know a lot like the people viewed cv6 right the most the most famous um battle-hardened award-winning ship in history and it was like yep your day is over off you go uh, which is awfully odd, but there's a parallel there with that with that enterprise. Even though she was badly damaged and all that other stuff, there there probably wasn't or there hadn't been a more famous ship in in Starfleet. And um, and so yeah, I mean, like I said, the the setup and the lead up to it was perfect. I thought very well done. Uh, Klingons, you know, they they obviously gain more intellect as the show evolves. Uh, in in the next generation, but you know, to, to I don't know what it wound up being seven or eight uh, Klingons versus four hundred thirty. They don't know what they're going into, and just the we are Klingons. Like, eh. <laughs> yeah, okay, but you know, you have you have ten rifles. They have four hundred thirty two phasers. If it's a war of attrition, you're not going to win that thing. But you know, it, to me, it was it was just interesting, and and but you're right, it was it was appropriately done. It was done with class. It was spectacular, uh, in, in for for the special effects of that day. I thought it was very clever. Um, you know, I I think the only thing I would have wished when it was when it was pummeling to to the planet through the atmosphere of whatever. Um, you know, I understand what have we done and all that stuff, and you don't you, you, the the movie's got to keep moving. That moment could have lasted just a little longer. I don't know why, but it just seemed, you know, 
it was appropriate, but for me, I, I think there there could have been even more remorse. Uh, and, and we kind of pick it up at the end of the movie a little bit, but eh. Anyway, yep, they, they when they did blow it up, they blew it up right. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Indeed they did. And then Star Trek Six, you know, Enterprise A, pretty big Jeopardy, you know, got, literally gets a hole blown through it by uh, General Chang's Bear to Prey. They were in pretty, uh, you know, if the Excelsior had not shown up to give them something else to shoot at, as Sulu said, they might have done the Enterprise in there. Maybe, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I know. At least they, they figured out, you know, that they they could go in there and operate on a torpedo, which, you know, it's the, it's the worst. I love Star Trek Six, but I, I hate that scene. It is just silly. Um, it, it, you know, and it's, it really was a very simplistic way to, to, to defeat them. When you, when you think of all the intelligent ways that they've come up to, to defeat the enemy or... Uh, it's like putting too much know. air in a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, just wasn't the brightest. But anyway, it, it is what it is, but... Yeah, the Enterprise A did did take quite the pounding, and it was it was hard to watch. Um, it, it get hurt that badly, right. but you know it, it is funny how in some whether it's uh, any of the the Star Trek shows that sometimes the ships that are the, the the main characters can either take a pummeling or they barely take a scratch and it's over. It's it's just funny the the dichotomies. But uh, yeah, she 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 wasn't looking too good. And we were on record talking about our thoughts on the Kelvin timeline where every single movie, the Enterprise, just eats the crap beat out of it uh, by a giant other ship. 09, it's the Narada. Into Darkness, it's the Vengeance. And then it culminates in Beyond, which we love, but it still blows up the Enterprise by the Swarm. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. So that uh, was probably the most clever way that we've seen a starship get destroyed, however, though. True. Is that was very original. I mean, I, I can't even think of another sci-fi movie where it was just, um, you know, kind of these solid-plated, hulled small ships that just bore through and cut the cut a ship to pieces, you know. And um, I, I I still have a hard time watching that opening scene uh, when 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 she's going down, or or it, it's almost like every time I watch, I'm like, no, don't 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 take off the nacelles, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very emotional moment when that happens because you realize this is it. This ship is not going to make it, you know. So anyway, they did it well. That, I, I'll just put it that way. Yeah, and you know, as we've been talking through all these Enterprise incidents here, you can see why the movies kind of rub us the wrong way sometimes because in the show, the ship goes through so much. Like we listed off, I wasn't counting, but I'm sure some of you out there were. We listed off... <laughs> so many incidents for the enterprise incident that was that wasn't even intentional <laughs> but so many incidents for the enterprise was nearly destroyed and it got out of there you know worse for wear and then you know gets magically repaired the next week to the magic of you know syndication as we were talking about show these things in any order there's no consequences from week to week on the original series other than the menagerie part one and two but anyway <laughs> throw that in there for you guys uh it's a tough ship right i mean klingons romulans Doomsday Machines, oh my. Uh, they get through all this stuff, and yet, you know, in the movies, it's like a little Miranda-class ship just almost destroys you, you know, because you don't have your shields up. You know, uh, the, the shield's really that essential to these ships for not getting, you know, just uh, all totally messed up? I don't know. It was, it, was, it was more of where they hit them, right? They knew exactly where to hit us. Yeah. Uh, because Con read those tactical manuals like 15 years ago, I guess that's what it was, but they had the Reliant 
uh, computer banks yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, Ken and I are always talking about that. Like, why you got to blow up the ship every movie? And it's because you, you've seen it, and I get it. It's episodic TV week after week. Of course, the Enterprise is not, not going to get blown up. The movies, they want big stakes. We get it. But we've seen the Enterprise get beat up so much now. I hope, you know, I'm hoping for four, five, six, seven, in the Kelvin timeline installments, you know. I hope they don't blow up the ship anymore, Ken. I hope they just stick with AA and just play it on out with that ship and, and give us drama in different ways, much like the original series did. Because 79 episodes, we listed a handful, maybe 10, a dozen, 15, something like that, somewhere in that range. Lots of drama to be generated by not blowing up the ship or putting it in dire situation. And I love a good space battle. We all love a good space battle. We all want to see a good space battle, a good one-on-one space battle, something I really do want to see coming up here in the Kelvin Timeline movies. But we don't have to blow up the ship. All right, let's make the Enterprise victorious for exchange. Let's show why it's the best ship in Star Trek and in Starfleet. There we go. I think I've said that a few times on different episodes, just differently. I think you captured it very, very well. It's, it's, um, it's one thing to have the ship in jeopardy. It's another thing to just just keep beating it up. Um, I, I'm hoping, like you, that Star Trek Four it goes in a different direction, that they can really utilize the talents on the ship. But, I, I, you know, that that's, that's a big reason why I really like Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, Ken went there. Yes, he did. Um, the ship... <laughs> right on all the, the favorites this week, Ken. Glorious, magnificent, pride of the fleet. Yes, there was a, a very large craft um, that was... That put the ship in jeopardy, but it functioned well, and and it was and it was portrayed as a phenomenally um, special vessel, and uh, and for all the right reasons. And and I don't need to say that uh, Star Trek IV needs to be paced like that, or it has to be a cerebral movie like that, or or whatnot. But it would be nice if they portrayed the Enterprise as being special like that. Well said, Ken. And, you know, if any of you guys in the Babel Conference or email, like, because we read some emails this week, do you guys have any thoughts on this conversation? Did we miss any, right? Did, did we miss any key moments? The Enterprise was in dire jeopardy. Uh, do you have any thoughts in our analysis of the hows and whys of it getting in those situations? Please let us know. We love, uh, we had a great conversation uh, after our podcast last week uh, on the Babel Conference. We'd love to see that again from you guys. So let us know what your thoughts are on the on these Enterprise incidents that we've been discussing. But, this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. The ultimate fantasy was being called the ultimate fiasco, the ultimate fallacy, the ultimate F-up. And one girl on Sunday afternoon, they were she tells a story, they were walking to dinner, and she says, oh my God, you guys, they were talking some of these you know snarky names. She goes, no, 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 you guys, listen, listen. We've just survived the con of wrath. And they all, like, died laughing. Warp 5. At that time, you know, PTSD was not even a diagnosis. We had, for generations, had different terms to describe issues with soldiers. Soldiers' heart, you know, combat fatigue, uh, shell shock. Melodic treks. I have a big love in my heart. You know, like, my top three episodes are Where No Man's Gone Before, Believe It or Not, The Alternative Factor, and the lights of Zatar. I just almost passed out. <laughs> Meta Trex. For me, just as soon as Quark goes under the knife, it kind of. <laughs> it um, is not essential Trek philosophy. Something seriously goes wrong. <laughs> not for me, no. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at trek.fm, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trackfm. And you can, you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So for $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable where you podcast. And, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the Roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So, Please, 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 if you if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to Renee Roberts, Aaron Harvey, Nicholas Anastasio, and of course, Norman Lau. Thank you all for your support of Standard Orbit and Trek FM through Patreon. Now, you can find Renee at Twitter at Emrys underscore 1701. You can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at Geek Filter. You can find Norman Lau at Starfighter1701. And you can, you can uh, interact with Nick and all of us on the Babel Conference, and that's, that's where we find uh, Nick hanging out all the time. Yeah, and you can find me on the Babel Conference. I love to hang out there. And you can reach me through Facebook directly or via Twitter. My handle is at Boston SCPO. That stands for Senior Chief Petty Officer. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show from the early 2000s, and we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville, with one S. And also, I'm around the Babel Conference as well. It's always great to talk to you guys on there, making conversation about our shows, other shows, general Star Trek topics, anything really on there. So thanks for listening, everyone. Join us again next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit.